Good to see you guys again. I was just telling the guys at my table, you're gluttons for punishment. You've had me twice now. So I uh, just realized when I walked up here, I am using an NIV Bible. So I know the tables have ESV. It should be pretty easy to follow along. But let's go ahead and jump right in because we got a lot to cover today. If you have your Bible, if you would open it to Revelation uh, chapter 21, that's where we're going to start at today. Before we get started, I want to ask everyone a question. This takes absolutely no brain power, okay? So it's not, your eating is not going to affect this. Does anyone here know who Tom Phillips is? Tom Phillips. Not in Macon. Okay, good. All right, well, let's, uh, now that you've had time to turn there, let's look at Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, and then I'm going to move forward towards the end of chapter 21. Says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of, from heaven, out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain. Or no more death, nor mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he kind of goes on to talk about who's going to be at the new heavens and the new earth. And then he talks about a new Jerusalem. And let's skip down to verse 22 of chapter 21. It says, John is speaking, he says, I did not see a temple in the city. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great city, the street of the city. On each side of the river stood a tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Let me pray for us real quick. Father, we need you desperately to speak to us by your spirit through your word. Pray that you would do that even right now. Uh, you guys, uh, you didn't know who Tom Phillips was, and that's perfectly okay. But I, I want you to ask me a question. I want to ask you guys, what is this book about? What is the Bible about? This is kind of what I thought. A lot of different answers, right? I mean, we could have, I could have asked you to write this down on your own personal piece of paper and turn it into me. I would have got a unique answer from everyone. And if you're forced to answer this question, you might, I would maybe say it's about God and his kingdom, or specifically Jesus and his kingdom. 
The fact is, is this is a God-authored story that's been running for all time, from Genesis to Revelation, but it's continuing to May 2nd, 2012, right here, right now. And, I, and so no matter where you found yourself in history, whether you lived 2,000 years ago or you were just born today, you find yourself somewhere, somehow caught up in the middle of the story that is written right here. And you guys, a lot of you, I, I recognize your faces from the last time I was here. So you've been coming back, and you probably know what I'm about to tell you. But this book could be split up into four parts or four chapters. It is creation, fall, redemption, consummation. And I would like to make an argument in light of this series that we're doing, New Heavens, New Earth. I would like to say creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Because that's really what God is doing. He's restoring what he started. Now, I heard this past weekend something I think is really actually very true. Very true about the church as a whole, maybe me or you. It says that we have a problem. We look at this four-chapter narrative of Scripture, and we just, we just chop off the first and the last chapter. We just think that this book is about fall and redemption, which that is a central focus. That's what the gospel really revolves around. But if we don't have creation and restoration, uh, we miss a very significant piece of what this narrative is here for, what is there for us to help us with. Just think about it. If we didn't have the first chapter, creation, not the literal first chapter of the Bible, but the first part, creation, you would be without purpose. Without creation, we don't know what we're here for or what, what we were to do. We don't know what we're here for to do or really what we're supposed to be like and if we don't have consummation or restoration we really have no idea what to look forward to nothing to hope for if we don't have restoration we wouldn't know and I think that we chop this off restoration maybe more than anything and we don't understand what to expect from God or what to expect in the future or where we're heading and I would argue that I don't know that we know how to live right now if we don't know what we're living for or what we're looking for in the future. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I'm, I don't have all the answers, and I'm no expert, but thankfully God gave us the Bible, and it helps us know a little bit what to expect and how to live. And our, and our text, Revelation chapter 21 and the part of 22, can help us know what to expect and how to live. So far in this study, it's really a study on the consummation or the restoration. You've seen what that looks like. The fact that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And some of the things that come out of that. Some of the things that you should be expecting. Like last week, Eric said that you should be able to look at scripture and then maybe even say, I I will recognize things about culture when I get to my resting place. When I, the new earth, there's going to be culture there. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. It It was new to me. This week, we're going to look at another aspect or another little piece of the new heavens and the new earth. And it comes in verse 2. And I never really paid attention to it much before this, but it says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So when we look at the new earth today, we're going to focus on the city, the city that God is creating 
And then we're going to look at what does that mean for right now, like I said, May 2nd, 2012, because I think that's going to help us. Knowing where we're going in this city is going to help us live right here, right now. And the way I want to do this, and if you can bear with me, I want to look at this new city of God and the way it's coming by looking in the past and in the future, okay? So we're going to understand this new city by looking in the future and the past and then come bring it back to the present. But let's look to the future. There's certain things we know that have been covered that we might have just read here or that we know already. But the first fact is Jesus is coming back. I think a lot of times we, we live like Jesus maybe coming back but he is coming back and he is going to be establishing a holy city like verse 2 just talked about and that tells us a lot it tells us a lot to what we should be expecting when it says that we are going to be in a holy city what that means is we're going to be gathered in community we're going to be together we're going to be in perfect fellowship and the great thing about that is that we're going to be sharing all things all the good things all the benefits that come from what you bring to me and I bring to you. It's kind of like Acts 2 on steroids, okay? You know, they, they talk about, like, the unity and the greatness that was the early church. That is just a shadow of what is to come. Now, you think about this place. It's described here, and I'm going to sum up what we saw here. And it's in really in verses 1 through 4. This holy city, it's a, it's a gathered community. But this city, this new earth... The, great, the greatest thing about this, if I was to ask you, what do you look forward to heaven? You might tell me the wedding feast of the Lamb. Mmm, I, I love food. Because the greatest thing about heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. And that's what this city has. God is going to be there and dwell there. That's the greatest piece of the puzzle right there. That's the, but it doesn't stop there. It says there will be no more crying, no death no pain. Guys, everything we know about this world is passing away. The curse is going to be gone. We have no idea what that's like, really. The fact that I'll get to see Jesus and that I get to go a day without fighting sin, I'm already looking forward to it. And that's going to get me excited to live for that later on. When I get later in my day, when life gets frustrating, the curse is bringing its full attack on me. But this will be a place without frustration, and God will reign completely. And his kingdom will be fully realized. This will be a different kind of city than anyone that we know. And, uh, yeah. We're going, we're going to talk about the present, like today, right now, in just a little bit. But I want to talk about it just for a second and say, well, if that's true, what about now? What can we expect? If that's really true, what can we expect today? Well, I think what you should expect is that because Jesus has already come, he's already died, rose again from the dead, and he brought his kingdom to bear, and he has victory, we can expect to see some of this right here, right now. Now, it's going to be completed later, but his kingdom is advancing as we speak. So these things that we're reading about in Revelation 21, these completed things, we do get to see shadows of it. We do get to have taste of it right here, right now. We live in a, because of this, 
Because Jesus has already died and has the victory over here, right? Time and space. And there'll be a time and place over here when Jesus comes back. But we have this overlap that Jesus really does fully reign. Sin and death has been defeated, but it's not fully come. We live in what the theologians call the already not yet, or we live in between the times. Uh, And some people are like, oh, that's so frustrating. I, I don't think so. It is a unique, exciting time where we get to labor alongside of God. Jesus really does reign, and as believers, if you're a believer, he really has empowered you not just to see and taste this, but to be part of seeing it happen through you. This is where we're going, to a holy city, a perfect place. I'm guessing if it's a new earth and it's a new city, it's probably a pretty big city. I'm just, I don't have much of imagination, but it's got to be pretty big. But to help us really fully understand, we're talking about the future, to help us really fully understand where we're going and what we're to do in the meantime, I think we have to go back to chapter one of this four-chapter narrative of Scripture if we're really going to know where we're going. So let's go back to the past. Step back with me. And I really believe that if we want to know what to expect in the future— I consistently come to these ideas in my mind. I don't know about you, because I want to know. I just, I don't, I'm not a super curious person, but man, I want to know what heaven's going to be like. And the place I go in the Bible to see that most often is Genesis. Chapter 1 and chapter 4 are very similar, but creation is extremely useful because it's telling us about a perfect place, a place where there is no sin, there is no curse, that God dwells with men. And I think that it's a really good indicator of what we should be expecting. Now, I just want you, let's take a step back and think, what was God's original design and plan in Genesis for mankind? Well, if you can, let's, get, let's think about we have, we have a camera lens or something. We, we are zoomed in on the garden. And in the garden, we have Adam and Eve who are living in perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with God, and they've been given a task to multiply and have dominion. Multiply is no secret. It means have babies. And by having babies, you're making more believers. And they're supposed to have dominion, to reign and rule on the earth. And that's what they're supposed to do. And they're, they're in the garden. Now, I want you to zoom out one step back, okay? This garden is inside of a place called Eden, It is a perfect place. It is a lush but wild place. And as Adam and Eve have dominion in the garden and they have children, the garden is really supposed to expand into the fringes of Eden until Eden is the garden. And the reign of God, the people of God, everything is in harmony. Now, if they keep multiplying and having dominion, what happens? You zoom back again. You see the whole earth. Eventually, if you think about this, I, I think tend to just think of shades. Like you have the earth and it's, it's a little dot and it's a black dot and then the little black dot gets a little bit bigger and bigger and bigger and it's to cover the earth and the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. Right? What a great idea. Well, we, we, uh, we know that that original design, so to speak, was hindered by sin. I mean, almost immediately. But... The plan was not extinguished. I mean, that's chapter 3 of the book, right? Redemption. God didn't extinguish his plan. 
And now, I'll get back to that in a second, but I want you guys to think and compare the original creation and the new earth. And just think about it. They're astoundingly similar. I mean, there are different sizes and different scopes, and there's some differences, and I'll point them out. But I want you to understand, if, let's just go back for a second. Look at the stuff I, I wrote down. They'll be gathered in community. They'll be in perfect fellowship with another. They'll be together. They'll be sharing all things. It's a place where God dwells. There'll be no crying, no death, no pain, no curse, no frustration. That's exactly what Genesis says. That's the garden, Right? Now, it's two people in one garden. There's the difference. Creation, two people, one garden with a grand scope. We see the end result. Multitudes, one city. Right? Multitudes, one city. The shift changes, but the original design is realized because of what Jesus did. When he came and defeated sin and death, he makes it where the whole earth can be filled with God's glory. And you see, we get stuff like this. We're told with the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. And by the way, we're still supposed to reign and have dominion and multiply. And multiply not just by having big families and as believers, but also multiply through evangelism. That's what the, greatest, the Great Commission is all about. It's to multiply to take God's glory to the ends of the earth. And by the way, someone tell me, when does... The restoration happened. When does the Bible tell us it's going to happen? When the gospel has been preached to every nation. It's when that whole earth fills up in that big black dot I was talking about. The end result, the completion of the original design, that's where we're going. That's, that was the plan from the beginning. And we can know a lot about where we're going because we look right there. And that's also going to help us know what to live for because we're living for that kingdom today, right here, right now. So let's get to the present. How exactly, this is the hardest question. How exactly do I bring the kingdom to bear? If, if Adam and Eve are bringing the kingdom to bear and Jesus is bringing the kingdom to bear on earth and I'm part of the family of God, I can be part of bringing the kingdom to bear on earth. How do I do that? That's the real question. How do I do that? Uh, it's a good question, uh, I think maybe because I wrote it down myself, I think it's good. <laughs> but when I look at scripture and I try to think about a pe- the people of God who are living in a place that is not their own, it's not their home, but they're called to bring the kingdom to bear and, and really show God off to people who don't know him, I think of one chapter in the Bible immediately, immediately. And it's Jeremiah chapter 29. Some of you are thinking, Jeremiah 29. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. Great verse. I memorized it like the third day I was a Christian. And then I realized what was said before that, and it has a completely different meaning a little bit. Guys, here's the situation for Israel. We are a people who are not living in a land that is our own. This is not our home. But we're called to bring the kingdom to bear. Israel was too, in Jeremiah 29. Think about it. The people of God are in exile in Babylon. And it isn't because it's like, mm-hmm, we just, you know, the economy was bad, so we had to move. That's not what happened. They, they were defeated, and they're being held captive by a long-standing hated enemy. 
Okay, this is not like I was following my job. They're there and they hate it. Now, if you're the people of God, you have some choices at this moment. Like, what are you going to do? Am I just going to forget God and live for myself, or am I still going to try and live for God? Hopefully you say, I'm going to try and live for God. Well, if that's your case, you still have more options. All right, so I can just hunker down right here, and I'm just not going to be polluted by this Babylonian mumbo-jumbo that they're always spewing, and we're just going to isolate ourselves, create a little subculture. We'll just be little Israel right here in Babylon, right? And we'll just not be affected at all by what's going on out there. Or they have another option. They can hunker down, and they can fight. They can resist. They can try to break these shackles and get out of this captivity that they're in. And by the way, isolation, this fighting back, by the way, is really, it's, it comes out in hate. You hate these people, and you are going to fight against them. Isolation and hate, ironically, are far too often the Christian response to the world we live in today. We try to isolate ourselves so as not to be influenced by culture, and then in the end, we don't influence culture at all or we fight against it, and we make it very clear that we're enemies, and it almost comes across, we don't like you, and we don't want you. That's not the message of God's people either, I don't believe. Here's the third option. You can hunker down and have influence. The kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on these people where they're at and win them to God is what God charged Israel to do. I think it's what he charged us to do. So how do you, how do we, I, I keep saying that. I said, so I go back to the same question. How exactly do we do that? Well, here's what God said to them. And this is in the context of a city. They're in captivity, in exile, in a city, place that is not their own. All right, so what does he say to them? Well, it's, if you have your Bible, uh, you can turn to Jeremiah 29 real quick. And I'll just, it's only... Like five verses. You can just listen along if you, you don't want to turn there. It's Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 4. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. First of all, you notice God said he put them there, just like he's put us here. He says to them, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, will, for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. As people living in a place that is not our own, called to bring a kingdom to bear here, in the, especially in the context of the city, I think we have a lot in common with these people, although we're nothing like them. Interesting. Look at verse 5, because I think these are good starter points for us, good starter applications. This, this doesn't apply exactly to your situation, but it could. Look at, if you look at verse 5, I could just sum that in, and it says, jump in with both feet. Jump in with both feet. Don't straddle the fence. Don't just be testing the waters. Build a house, it says. That means put down roots. Plant gardens. 
you don't plant a garden somewhere you don't plan on being the time harvest comes around. So you're committing. And it says, eat their food. Yeah, what? That can be hard for some of us. I've seen some food in other places, and it isn't very appetizing. But what this is really saying is embrace. No, no subculture here. Embrace. Be a part of it. In verse 6, it says, Mary, multiply, grow in prominence. It's saying, settle down. We're not going anywhere. They're going to be there for 70 years. That's a generation. Easy in the Bible. So he's saying, you better, better get used to this. Settle down. And you need to be seeking to have influence. And you know what? Flourish. Flourish is what they're saying. Flourish. In verse 7, uh, this, is, this is where I think the rubber really hits the road for us. Because a lot of ways we're doing a lot of this stuff right here if we just live in Macon. But look at verse 7. It says that we're, to seek, we're supposed to be an advocate. That's what it's saying. We're supposed to seek the peace of the city, the prosperity of the city. We're to be an investing in the city and praying for the city. All these things are for our good and for the good of the city. One is not mutually exclusive of the other. What does that mean? For someone, it might mean I need to get involved in local politics or I need to start a business or I need to get involved in schools, relationships. Whatever it means is I'm going to have influence. I'm going to make this place better. I'm going to make this place better. And in doing so, we're going to give the city a little taste of the city that is to come. And maybe just maybe that light shines like a city on a hill and draws people in to the God that is behind all of it. Verse 8 is a particularly interesting one for me as well because he gives a warning. He says, there will be others among you. And this would, you know, it says prophets and diviners. These are spiritual mouthpieces, so to speak. People that are speaking supposedly for God, but they're really not speaking for God. God says, if they're saying these things, it's not true. Because they're saying you might want to to step back. You might want to fight back. And God's saying, no, I want you to press in and have influence, to change a culture, to bring my kingdom to bear right here, right now, because I am your God. And ultimately for us, we're doing that because we're building towards a different kind of kingdom and a different city that is to come, and we're a part of bringing that to bear right here, right now on earth. We're not to... We're not to withdraw, and we're not to be hostile. And, and I, I, I guess I could make that argument by looking at this passage, but I think I just have to look at Jesus to know that. When we were enemies, Jesus did not withdraw. He, God did not shut down his plan, and he not, did not become hostile. Immediately after we fell, he gives a promise of redemption, and then he sends his son. And then he says we're his ambassadors. What does that mean? It does not mean withdraw. It does not mean fight against and just condemn these people. It means to have influence and love them and bring them into the kingdom as well. And I just want to stop for a second. Some of this might be foreign to you. And you might have shown up like, I want to know about Jesus. I didn't know I was getting all this. And if you want, if you're wondering who Jesus is or if you want to be a Christian, this is why. Because when we were sinners and far off, Jesus came to us and he sought to bring us to him. 
when we could never get to him. And he wants to provide a place like we are talking about, a great city, a place with no pain, no crying, no death. We get to be with God, see him face to face. I mean, this new place and the old place are almost, I mean, it says the tree of life makes a reappearance here in Revelation chapter 22. As a believer, I think we should be looking and taking the, looking like Jesus and taking the Jeremiah 29 approach, seeking to have an influence on the city. We should see the world becoming a little more like the place that is to come rather than the one that Satan would like to see. Okay, let me close with this. I was in D.C. this past weekend, and it reminded me of a story of a young politician that was there not too long ago. And this is not a fairy tale story, okay? So... Bear with me. This is not a pleasant dude. All right? Uh, in fact, there's people still to this day that don't even like him. His nickname was Hatchet Man. Okay? And instead of him, uh, quoting here, he is incapable of even a humanitarian thought. All right, so, and you might be saying, and he, he self-admittedly said, I would do any kind of dirty trick or do anything for political gain. You, some of you are looking, that hasn't narrowed it down for me, Justin. I still don't know who you're talking about. But almost in secret, this guy became a Christian. Now, he kept on doing some of the stuff he was doing, and he got caught. And he actually got thrown in prison, which is rare for any politician. And he got sent to jail in Alabama, which that's like double jail. Uh, but he soon he soon got out of jail and he was leaving but he's leaving an ex-con now all his political power and ties have been thrown out the door and then he's getting yelled at as he's leaving prison you're going to forget us just like everyone else has and he said no I won't and they're like yes you will well he he didn't forget he was determined to help because he truly knew Jesus and he, he had seen the broken people in broken places of this world, and he wanted to bring the kingdom of the bear right there. And he did that. He restored the broken places and people in many ways. And like Palmer Chinchin said when he was here, he was bringing, he was bringing heaven to, to places, of, pieces of heaven to places of hell on earth. Who am I talking about, by the way? Chuck Colson. Oh, attentive group. This guy could have escaped and ran away from prison and that life and everything else, but he didn't. He, he chose to stay in the city. He chose to, to have influence, and he did. He brought dignity to lowly people. He brought the gospel to people without hope. He, he healed families. He aided fatherless children. He brought the kingdom bear where he was. He, and he didn't do anything special. I think that's what we think. It's like he didn't use his pedestal to, to have ministry. Guys, he was knocked to the bottom of society and people doubted everything he ever did. He didn't do anything special, and, uh, but he had profound impact. I, I don't know if you guys know who John Piper is or you follow Twitter or Facebook, but he posted a couple weeks ago, without J.I. Packer's Knowing God, a book, and then... Chuck Colson's book, Loving God, there would have been no Desiring God, which is his premier book. And by the way, John Piper might be the most influential Christian of our generation. 
that guy's Chuck Colson influenced that guy. And I'm not here to promote greatness or I'm not saying that we have to be great because of this. I'm just saying living for Jesus and bringing the kingdom to bear, no matter what you're doing, can have astounding significance. And you may not think being on a school board or holding a public office or running your business well or working hard as an employee does anything for the kingdom, but you're wrong. It does because it reflects the real kingdom and it reflects the real God and it reflects the city that is to come. And you may not think that God could use you, or especially in your little world that doesn't really matter. But then again, in 1973, I don't think Tom Phillips probably thought God was going to do much with him either. But he's just that schmug who went and shared the gospel with Chuck Colson, right? He was just trying to bring the kingdom to bear too. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have sought us, you drew near to us, and when we are hostile to you, you drew us to yourself. And God, right now, uh, you've given us great promises of a kingdom that is to come, a new earth, a new city that we're going to be a part of. And that changes everything. The way we look at the world, the way we look at people, and the way that we live, God, and really the way that the world can be right now, it can be a little more like the one that is to come because you have put us here. God, it is not by our power, it is by your power. We just, God, can just come and cling to you and look to you to be faithful. And Lord, so help us, help us. Give us grace to go out to be a good employee, to love our family well, to run a business well, and God, to be faithful. Pray that you give us that grace. In Christ's name, amen.